Yeah, the children are dismissed. All right, you guys know what this book's about, right? I guess you could answer that question a lot of ways, but preeminently, it's about life. It's about life. God is giving away life. Romans 6, 23, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. God's giving away eternal life. There are over a thousand references in Scripture to life. I looked up a couple of phrases. Just let me give you a couple. The breath of life, the tree of life, the path of life, the fountain of life, the springs of life, the way of life, the well of life, statutes of life, the bread of life, the word of life, the book of life, the promise of life, the crown of life, the river of water of life. You get, you're, getting the, you're getting the gist? This book's about life. Life is one of the major themes in the Gospel of John that we've been preaching through the last couple of years. And the Bible tells us that there is no life apart from Jesus Christ. Let me share some of the verses from John that I just looked up yesterday. It's pretty overwhelming if you just take them in uh, all together. John 1.4, in Him is life. John 5.26, the Son has life in Himself. John 5.40, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you will not come to Me that you might have life. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. John 6.68, Peter said to Jesus, remember Jesus said, do you want to leave Me too when all of His disciples were leaving? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of life. Uh, John 10.10, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it what? Abundant life. That you might have it abundantly. John 10.28, Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life. John 11.25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John 17.3, we saw a month or so ago, as Jesus prayed to His Father, He said, this is eternal life. What? That they may know Thee and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Now I'm going I'm to make a delineation here. Jesus is not talking about uh, walking around, breathing in and out, brain waves and a pulse kind of life. This is not what Jesus is referring to. He's talking about spiritual life. There are two words in the Greek um, that are translated in the English as life. One is bios, where we get our word biology from. This is brain waves and a pulse, inhaling and exhaling, okay? But the other word is zoe, and Jesus is using zoe in each one of these verses I just read to you. And our Greek lexicon tells us this about zoe it connotes a springing up of life, a quickening life. I love this one. A spiritually aroused life. And it also references the source of this life is from God. That's what Jesus is talking about. When He's using this, this repeatedly in the Gospel of John, this is what Jesus is talking about when He uses the word life. Jesus is talking about the soulish life. He's talking about the spiritual life, the regenerate life, the life that God gives. You remember what 
Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born from above. You must be born again. This is the life that Jesus is talking about. You may remember that C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he, he made a contrast between the bios kind of life and the zoe kind of life. And this is what Lewis said. What man in his natural fallen condition does not have is zoe life. The higher and different sort of life that exists only in God. Again, this is what Jesus Christ is talking about when he's talking about the life that he offers. It's the life of God. Okay? It's the soulish life, the spiritually aroused life. And this is how Lewis finishes that little excerpt. Lewis says, A man who has changed, and I think I shared this with you once before, but a man who has changed from merely having a bios kind of life to having a zoe kind of life would have gone through as big a change as a statue which had changed from being carved stone to being a real man. And Lewis says, that is precisely what Christianity is about. Statues of stone are becoming real men and women. Bios men and women are becoming Zoe men and women. So, how exuberant and irrepressible and uncontainable and abundant is the life of God? We have no idea. There is no measurement for infinity. There is no measurement for infinity. But I, I know that we will spend countless eternities exploring what that means. What it means. What the life of God means. And we'll be discovering for a billion eternities the fullness and the joy and the pleasure of it. Makes me think of David uh, 1611. I read part of it to you in the, in the opening. Listen to this verse. I want you to hear this because this is really kind of the sermon. God will make known to me the path of life. This is what God does. Those who come to Christ, He makes known to them the path of life. Listen to what He says. In God's presence is fullness of joy. We always see joy. Joy always follows. When someone's born again, when someone encounters Christ and they receive Him, joy always follows. You'll never not see joy following. Okay, and David says, in God's presence is a fullness of joy. In His right hand there are pleasures forever. Do you believe this? Friends, we're supposed to be looking forward to, to heaven. And we're not supposed to have some vague and nebulous idea about it. We're supposed to be motivated by the fact that we will be in the presence of the most beautiful and awesome being in existence forever. And there are a billion pleasures in His right hand for His people. You go, read, go read Hebrews 11, the, the great chapter of faith. They're, these men and women are highly motivated by the fact that they're going to go be with God. This is why they live those extravagant lives of faith. They were going to go be with this beautiful, awesome God. I love the way the Living Bible paraphrases Psalm 1611. It says this, You will show me the, the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. Don't you love that? And the pleasures of living with you forever. you got to love the gospel. <laughs> now that's the kind of life that God is giving away. That's the kind of life that Jesus is inviting men and women to come and receive from Him freely. It's irrepressible, God-sized 
life and death has no hold on it. Last week we looked at uh, John 19 and we talked at length about the cross and as I said it seemed best to just go, through, go into John 20 and follow Jesus into the resurrection. Not only uh, this week do we witness his bodily resurrection, we will do that, but we will witness the good shepherd loving his sheep. So I want you to be sure and, and uh, listen carefully because we're not just going to witness his bodily resurrection, we're going to see his loving kindness exhibited to his sheep. You remember John 11 where Jesus called himself the good shepherd, and we talked about this many months ago. Um, the, the word good there. It doesn't just mean good in a moral sense. And I love this. Sometimes it's really good to look at the Greek. Uh, I know um, Scott's a big Greek guy. But if you look at the Greek there, the word is kalos. Do you know the word kalos? It's the word we use to, to build the word kaleidoscope. What it's talking about is beautiful. What it's talking about is magnificent. Jesus says, I am the beautiful and magnificent and praiseworthy shepherd. This is really what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. He is beautiful. He is excellent. He is magnificent. So as we look at John 20, I hope you have your Bibles open to John 20. We're going to see the beautiful shepherd. He's going to come out of the tomb and he's going to love his people. So let's be looking for that. All right, we're going to pick up here at the beginning of John 20. Now, all the other Gospels, they tell us that uh, a number of women, a group of women went to Jesus' tomb early Sunday morning to anoint His body and prepare it for permanent burial. Mary Magdalene was with them. Now, as we look at John uh, chapter 20, verse 1, we see that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. It was still dark. She saw that the stone had been rolled away. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples uh, or to the disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we did not know where they had laid them. And then you're going to see Peter and John take off. They take off for the tomb. They start running for the tomb. And you're going to notice that, that John is, is proudly telling you that he's much faster than Peter, and he gets there before Peter does. But John doesn't go in. John just peers into the tomb, but Peter bursts into the the tomb. Okay, that's what you're seeing there. And they see a curious thing. The way the linens are, the linen wrappings are laying. It says verse 5, and they, they, they looked in and he saw the linen wrappings laying there and he did not go in. And Peter went into the tomb and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled in a place by itself. Now, if someone had stole the body, they would not have unwrapped the body. It's as if Jesus had simply passed through the linens as they laid there, as He had laid in them. And I think this is what the text is communicating. So John adds it up. Look at verse 8. John adds it all up. A rolled away stone, the linens laying the way they were, and an empty tomb. He adds it up. What, is the verse, what does verse 8 say? John believed. John believed. Verse 9 tells us that he didn't really fully understand all that he was seeing, but he believed. Okay? Now, Luke 24 tells us that Peter went away marveling. Peter wasn't, wasn't there yet. 
he went away marveling. And I want to insert here kind of parenthetically that I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend good, good pulpit time answering all the skeptics who try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, some contend that this was some mass solution, hallucination. Some contend that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, that he merely swooned on the cross and he was revived in the cool of the tomb. Some will say that, that the disciples uh, stole his body. Now, I, I'm not going to take the time to um, blow these arguments away, which they are easily blown away. But a book that we normally have on the table, but I don't have any right now, if you have questions about these issues, please read this book. It's called The Case for Christ's by Lee Strobel. Have any of you read this book? The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I strongly, strongly recommend it. He dispenses with all of these uh, false allegations. Lee Strobel was uh, educated at Yale. He has a law degree. became an investigative reporter and became the legal editor at the Chicago Tribune. As an atheist and a skeptic, he investigated the claims of the Bible with respect to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to, what Lee Strobel, listen to Lee Strobel's conclusions. When people try to explain the, the resurrection away, he says, people are merely grasping at straws trying to account for the resurrection. Nothing fits all the evidence better than the explanation that Jesus Christ came out of the tomb. He is alive. He continues, although I've tried, I cannot think of any more thoroughly attested event in all of ancient history. And then he, then he concludes his book. He says, I was ambushed by the evidence. It would require much more faith for me to maintain my atheism than for me to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is alive. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful testimony? So, what I want to say to you uh, categorically from the Word of God, Jesus Christ is God. He is alive. I Am has come out of the tomb he is the incarnate, crucified, buried, risen God. And the, the implications for that are profound for you and for me and every human being on the planet. Friends, you cannot deal indifferently or superficially or lukewarmly with Jesus Christ. The Bible asserts that He is your Creator. He is your God and He is your Redeemer. Friends, to, to treat Jesus Christ with, some, with kind of a feigned religious indifference is the gravest mistake you'll ever make in all your life. It's the gravest mistake you'll ever make. And you will be missing that for which you were created. You were created to enjoy the life, the joy, and the pleasures of God. This is the message of the Bible. The implication is that He is God. He is who He said He was. He came out of the tomb. And again, the implications are profound for every one of us. The Bible tells us that, uh, that He appeared no fewer than 11 times over a period of 40 days to no fewer than 500 people. Okay? So, quite a few witnesses. And as we complete John 20 this morning, again, you will see His resurrection, evidence of His resurrection, but you will see how He loves His people. This is the thing I really love. I don't have any problem with the resurrection. I believe it. I've experienced it. That's the whole born-again thing, right? God's resurrected you from the dead. Once you were dead, but now you're what? Alive in Christ. You are born again. So I don't have a problem with the resurrection, but what, I, what we see here is this loving, intimate care that Jesus exhibits for His people. 
Verses 11 and 12, Mary is standing there weeping outside the tomb and she's looking in the tomb and she beholds two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. I just want to interject very quickly that this is, there's some beautiful symbolism here. Probably some of you may have thought of this. You may remember in Exodus 25 when God told the Jews to build the ark and the mercy seat. Do you remember what the mercy seat looks like? Do you remember what's on each side of the mercy seat? Anyone remember? Two angels, right? This is what God told him. You shall make a mercy seat, which is the place of atonement, the place of satisfaction, um, on top of the ark, with one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. This is what God says. Okay? Exodus 25, verse 22. And I will meet with you there. You hear what he says? I will meet with you there. And these two angels are sitting there because this is where we meet with God. This is where we meet with God. Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. We can meet with a holy and righteous God. Did you notice? There's some real application here for, for all of us. And I want you to hear this. Did you notice that Mary is weeping for no good reason? Uh, obviously she has much love for Jesus Christ, right? But what does she not have at this point? Faith, that's right. Faith. How many times did Jesus tell them that He would rise? Numerous times. And so she's crying here for no good reason. And as I read that, I thought about how many times, probably you, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but I know me, I agonize and wring my hands over things for no good reason. I think all of us are probably like Mary at times. And why is it that we are wringing our hands and agonizing over our circumstance? Why is it? It's because we are not believing the Word of God, nor are we believing the promises of God. Nor are we believing that He is good. Even when, even when events and circumstance shout to us that He's not there, he's, He doesn't care, He's not paying attention. God says, I am paying attention and I love you with an everlasting love. This is what God says in His Word. I'm going to remind you of three promises from the Word of God. Luke 12, 29, He says you're not to worry. If you're a Christian this morning and you engage in habitual uh, pattern of worry, you are sinning against your God. I want you to repent. You don't have to worry. God's God. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He knows how to take care of His own. Hebrews 13.5, what, what does God say? I will never leave you, nor I will never what? Forsake you. There it is. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God will never leave you or forsake you? The last promise I want to remind you of is one we talk about so often. Romans 8.28, God says what? I'm going to work all things for your good. All those who are called according to my purpose. I work all things for the good. Do you believe these things? Then stop wringing your hands. Stop agonizing for no good reason. doesn't mean we don't have hard times, but we give them to the Lord. We trust what God is doing. So Mary is crying for no good reason. She, he had told her, I'm coming back. She loves Him, but she has not yet learned to live by faith. She's not let, yet learned to trust God, to trust His promises. We've been studying it in men's Bible study. Hebrews 11.6 We're to live like God is God. 
We're not to be pagans in a, like pagans in a crisis, as Oswald Chambers says. We're to live like God is God and like God is what? Good. Okay? This is how we are to live. It's clear that Mary loves Him, but Mary has not learned to live by faith. She's about to learn that lesson. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Uh, Mary, supposing Him to be the gardener, said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Um, so, then Jesus says this. <laughs> what does he say? Mary. Then what happens? <laughs> she realizes that she's been crying for no good reason if you don't remember John chapter 10, go read, you've got to read John chapter 10 in relation to these verses. Because Jesus says about Himself as the Good Shepherd, He says, I will what? Call My sheep by what? Their name. Jesus, when He calls you, He doesn't say, hey, you in the green shirt. Or you in the brown dress. He says, Jim, come. Leslie, come. Scott, come. I'm here. And, and he says, he says, Mary, John 10 says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know my voice. Mary heard the voice of her God and Savior and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. Immediately she recognized the voice of her beautiful, excellent, praiseworthy shepherd. Now, Jesus' first appearance is not to Peter it's not to John or to James. It's to this woman of no real consequence. This is a woman uh, from nowhere. She's a nobody from no place. And Jesus uh, cast out seven demons from her. I'm not sure he could appear to a more lowly person. This is what you've got to love about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He's not into rank, he, he's not into hierarchical religious rank. He loves his sheep. And he comes to a sheep. This is what Jesus says. I love my sheep. And I meet my sheep in their travail. And he comes to her. Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know God. Now I want to interject this. Men in false religion will tell you that salvation lies in a hundred different things. I made a little list. Men will tell you that all you got to do is pray this prayer or believe these three things or do this ordinance or keep this rule or partake of this sacrament or memorize this stuff or give so much money or go on a pilgrimage or chant this phrase or perform this rite. Jesus' definition of eternal life is what? It's none of that stuff. It's that they may know me. There it is. From the, word, from, from the lips of God. That they may know me. It's not knowing about Jesus Christ. The devils know about Jesus Christ and they tremble. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. This is the biblical definition. And what does it mean to know Jesus Christ? It means to be acquainted with Him, to have personal knowledge of Him, and to have personal experience with Him. This word know to the Jewish ear is an idiom for sexual intimacy. This is what Jesus Christ is communicating. There will be spiritual intimacy with His sheep. 
That's what it means to know the Lord Jesus Christ. When people press me, Jim, what's your most concise uh, definition of what it looks like to be a Christian? I always say the same thing. You will love Jesus Christ. You will know Him. You will have experience with Him. You will be personally acquainted with Him. And you will love Him. So, that's what we're witnessing in this passage. It's, it's the shepherd knowing his sheep and the sheep knowing his shepherd. I am appears to the lowliest of followers. Why? He loves her. <laughs> She's only lowly in the eyes of men. She's not lowly in the eyes of her God. He loves her with an everlasting love. Oh yeah. He just joyfully laid down his life for her. And he is just exuberantly taking up, taken up his life again for her. He loves her with a God-sized love. And that's how it is with genuine Christianity. That's how it is. I've said it a million times. You'll hear me if you, if you hang around with us very long. Christianity, true Christianity is not religion. Now, Religion has hijacked, hijacked Christianity and turned it into something that it's not. But biblical Christianity is not religion. It is a relationship with the living God. It's knowing Him and being known by Him. It's loving Him and being loved by Him. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says an awesome thing here. He says, stop clinging to Me. In other words, the relationship is changing. I'm not going to be with you physically anymore. I'll be in you spiritually as He taught us in John 14 as, the, as He sends the Holy Spirit. But there's a beautiful thing here in verse 17. He says, he says uh, go to my brethren. There's like 45 sermons right here. Okay? But I'm going to say it as, as succinctly as I can. Jesus has called His men disciples and He's called them friends, but now He's calling them what? Brothers. This is brand new. This is brand new. He's calling them brothers. Man, there's a ton of beautiful theology here. What does God say in Romans 8? We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, we are children of God, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Have you ever thought deeply about this? I'm always amazed at Christians who don't think deeply about what the Bible says. Because if you think deeply, it will blow your mind. We are adopted sons and daughters of I Am. This is what the Bible is teaching. In Christ, we are the children of God. We are adopted by God. I love what R.C. Sproul says about this. He has a succinct phrase. He says, from, from dust to glory. This is the evolution of the redeemed. Once we were dust, and now we are sons of God. <laughs> I love this. This is a beautiful thing. I can't, I can't belabor it, but it's a beautiful point. Now we are sons. Verses 19 to 25, God appears to uh, ten disciples. Uh, and Thomas is not there. I heard one preacher say that's what he gets for not being at church. But, but, but um, Thomas is not there. And Jesus simply appears to them. And look what he does. He gives them a commission. He says, verse 21, 
He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. There's part of your job description as a Christian. What? As Jesus came from the Father with the good news, we're to take the good news to the world. That's part of your job, brother and sister. That's part of your job as a Christian. It's part of your job description. Jesus breathes on them and He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is the earnest or the first installment of what God will complete at Pentecost when the, when the Spirit comes and fully indwells His disciple. Now verse 23 is much misunderstood and I want to spend just a moment on it. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. I want to make clear that we all understand men cannot forgive sin. That is the prerogative of God. Men cannot forgive nor pardon or absolve sin. This is the thing that only God can do. But what Jesus is saying, as a believer, you can boldly proclaim that all who come to Christ, their sin is forgiven, and all who reject Christ, their sin will be retained. Every believer can boldly proclaim that. Those who come to Christ, your sins will be forgiven. Those who reject Christ, your sins shall be retained. The other the others disciples go and they report to Thomas that they've seen the Lord. Look what Thomas says in verse 25. Unless I shall see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verses 26 to 31, Jesus appears to his disciples again, and this time Thomas is with them. And notice what the beautiful shepherd does. Notice what he does to one of his wayward sheep. Jesus is going to bring him back from unbelief. And I want to, I want to tell you right now, that nine times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that, the true, that all true believers are a gift from the Father to the Son. We've talked a lot about this in the South. I know you haven't been exposed to it yet. We're going to go back, in, we're going to go back to John and bring you guys current over the next few weeks. Nine times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that, that true believers are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Okay, you need to understand that. And what has Jesus said about these love gifts from the Father to the Son? He said it four times in the Gospel. He says, I will not what? I will not lose any of them. I'm the good shepherd. I'll not lose a one. Okay? And he's going to go get Thomas. He's going to get Thomas. He's going to rescue Thomas out of his unbelief. It made me think of that, that story that Jesus told in Matthew 18. You remember about the, the 99 and the one? The one has strayed. But what, is, what does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes and he retrieves the one. This is what, in one sense, Jesus is doing with Thomas. He's coming to get Thomas. He's coming to retrieve one of his sheep from disobedience. Jesus comes to him and, and uh, singles him out and revealing his omniscience, he repeats Thomas's very words. Jesus says, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. And here's the climax of the Gospel of John. Thomas's confession. What does he say? My Lord and my that's the climax of the book. Okay? That's the climax of the book. So, in this chapter, we've seen John believe. We've seen Mary believe. We've seen uh, the other nine disciples believe. Now, we see Thomas believe. But God's purpose in having John write this book 
was that you would believe. Okay? All we have to do is keep reading. Verse 30, Many other signs therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In fact, uh, John 21, 25, if you'll, go over the, if you'll flip over and look, you'll see that John tells us that if they had tried to record all that Jesus had done, the world could not contain all of the books that had been done. But John says, verse 31, but these, these I have picked out, these signs I picked out, the Holy Spirit directed me to pick out and write about, have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life. This is why we've been saying all the way through the Gospel of John, this is why God has directed John to write this Gospel. We know that we've said it a million times from the pulpit in the South, the universe, you know, sometimes we think the universe revolves around us. It's not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. But what I want to say, this Gospel is about you and me. God intends for you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He intends for you to believe it, and guess what? He intends for you to act on it. Okay? He intends for you to believe it and act on it. He wants you to have the Zoe life. The soulish life, the regenerate life, the born again life. That's what this book is about. It's about the life of God. Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life. So, have you believed? Have you believed? Have you acted? Have you received the free gift of God? Have you been born again? If you have not, I invite you to come to Christ this morning. If you don't know what that looks like or how to do that, you come talk to me. Okay? Be glad to, be glad to talk with you about it. I love what John writes over in 1 John 5.12. He who has the Son has the life he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Some here may need to just simply come to Jesus Christ this morning. Now, the others of you who are Christians, what's your job? What did you hear in John chapter 20? You stop wringing your hands. You start trusting the Lord. And you start what? You have a commission. Share the good news. Share the good news with everyone you come in contact with. Share the good news. God is giving away free, eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed that the whole world doesn't flock to the gospel. I'm always astonished. For the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, if there's one here that has not come to Christ, Father, I pray you will draw him to yourself. I pray that he would see the compelling evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
He is the only hope. He is the only Redeemer. Redeemer. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. I pray that all in this room, Father, will have fleed to Him and received the life that He offers. And Father, for those of us that are believers, I pray, oh God, that we would walk away with this lesson from Mary, that we would not wring our hands before the world, that the world would see that we trust a sovereign God, a good God, a God who can be trusted. Father, that we will live like we really believe Your Word. We're not to worry. You will never leave us or forsake us. You are working all things for our good. Oh God, help us have that testimony in our families and where we work and in the world that You are, you are God. You are indeed God. You are the living God and You are a good God. Father, we give all praise, glory, and honor to our beautiful, magnificent, excellent, praiseworthy Shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing chorus.